0: and From somewhere deep in the cloud, and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast, with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT, with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and
1: Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 126 of the Killing It, Killing it Podcast. I'm Carl, joined as always by Dave and Ryan, Uh, switching things up a bit. I am planning to actually travel. I have a a family gig and then I have a road show in September Uh, and just getting ready to to get out in the world. I even have a little trip to Hawaii uh, where Ryan's going to be leaving as I get there, I
2: think. I think I think I should be leaving right after you arrive. But you know what? There's plenty of room over here. Everybody should come and (laughs) visit. Masks are being worn, vaccines are being delivered, and I get to go outside for cocktail hour on the beach every evening. I'm so. just
0: hanging out for a while. I got I, I, <laughs> I got my one trip of potentially in October, and then at least i have confirmed on it. But we'll see. you never know that far out. That's ages from now. <laughs> but in yeah, terms October, of October,
1: like oh, who? who exactly. Can but in
0: terms of in terms of life, I'm uh, I'm definitely just hanging out for a little while, which is it's nice. The weather's good, hanging out.
1: Yep. Well, beaches are always good. I was talking to Nigel Moore from Australia yesterday, and. Uh, They are in super lockdown, you know, which I think has more to do with uh, beyond E beach than uh, than it does just the ocean. But uh, he technically can't stop walking outside he has to be exercising in order to be outside <laughs> so uh you know so he walks to the beach and then gets in the water onto a uh
0: that's a one of those surfboard. things how do you check that right like like somebody somebody literally is just watching you to see if you continue to move yeah like they're driving down the street like dude i saw you stop i saw like, you I, stop that's illegal <laughs> and i
2: also was checking in on your uh, data feed from your apple watch and i seen that your pulse rate is not sufficiently high to be in the cardio zone. That doesn't qualify as. Right? you not actually exercising. Yeah, you're walking too slow. That's hey, my so routine includes regular periods of rest and recovery, and then I go intensely again. Yeah, you gotta go. Inside you, imagine
0: if they cross-reference my Google Map data with my Apple Health data. Like, that's just like a scary level of possible surveillance <laughs> you, that I just have no interest. You, in. <laughs> you, you should, you should not
2: rest comfortably because uh, I know for a fact that there is. Is an Apple App Store application that is in development designed to do exactly that for the purpose of, you know, reducing your insurance rates on and your uh, health insurance say, coverage. I think you could just use Power
1: BI and just do that yourself in like no, 20 minutes. No, all right. We're, we're, I know. Stop <laughs>
0: it. <laughs> stop, it. No, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's coming. It's coming. Well, (laughs) speaking of threats, threat to client data is consistently evolved, so your strategy must evolve too. But knowing where to get good guidance isn't always easy. Well... Nowhere will you hear more helpful insights from leading cyber protection experts than the Acronis CyberFit Summit. I'm actually going to this one this year in person in Miami, and you should join me. Experts like Eric Simpson, Larry Walsh, and Acronis's Amy Luby will show you how to boost profits, reduce risk, and improve your team's productivity, as well as the latest cybersecurity strategies, technologies, and processes. In person and online, learn more about the Acronis CyberFit Summit World Tour at acronis.events.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much. It's good to know that there are some live events happening still in the world. So we shall look forward to that one. Uh, In the meantime, let's dive in on our first topic here. Uh, This week, we're actually going to do an update on a conversation from the very last episode, the very previous episode. We don't normally come back to things quite that quickly. But this one, I think justifies it. So the topic is Apple's approach to privacy and screening technology that's focused on child sexual abuse material and child pornography. Now, last week when we discussed this, we went into depth about the fact that A, this is a different technological approach from what other platform providers might be doing, and B, that Apple, of all the companies out there, might have just a little bit better reputation when it comes to privacy. And so while this might be a little bit more of a reach because it addresses your individual device instead of just the online platforms and where the data lives, we were willing as a group to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to the folks at Apple. Well, in the meantime, since that last episode came out, uh, very many pearls have been clutched. And very many people have participated in a debate saying, I can't believe that Apple would do such a thing. Now, you guys know there's a debate to be had about how you do this. I don't believe that there is a debate to be had about the fact that it needs to be done. So we want to get into a little discussion here about, so what are we thinking about the further details that Apple has announced, and we're going to link to some articles to give you guys some context on what Apple clarified in their technological approach, as well as what some of the ongoing debate has been. Uh, what What do you guys think about what has further transpired in the, the debate about Apple's approach to privacy? Well, I would
1: say, uh, you know, last time I raised the, the sort of chink in the armor argument. Um, what we didn't talk about last time was the the actual technology is they're not looking at pictures per per se, right? They're looking at hashtags of, uh, you know, images that have been, you know, compiled into a database that it's, they didn't compile the database, you know, on and on and on. There are several layers to this. So, but, but at the end of the day, they are monitoring ultimately the data that is out there. And the funny thing is, Some of the arguments against Apple on this have been that they're not doing enough, right? That you only are going to catch people under certain circumstances, and we should go catch all the people. So uh, I I started the conversation last time by saying I like complicated conversations because if it fits on a bumper sticker, it's probably not useful. Um, So, you know, there are many, many sides to this. Ultimately, it is a good thing I just think you need to be aware that Apple is not the undisputed uh, protector of all things
0: privacy. See, the interesting thing, so as the debate has evolved a little bit, the bit that struck me was that, the criticism that resonated was Apple didn't reach out to enough actual experts on uh, like the society side, the cultural side. I actually think from a technical perspective, their implementation is pretty smart. As I've learned more and more, I thought it was smart before, I've learned more and more as it comes out. I look and go, yeah, that's, that seems like a, a pretty smart way of doing it. What bothers me a little bit was the they went off and just did it, with, and yes, in a smart way, but without actually consulting the people that are experts in the 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 society side of things, the personal, the people side of things. And while they came up with a solution that's pretty good, I keep harping from in general on the kind of arrogance of technologists of never to look at the downsides of things and assume it's always going to work. And there's so many examples where, wow, if we took a little bit more time and we thought through the downside, the negative, and consulted with people that think about those implications, we would do a far better job than we're doing. And I'm just disappointed. While I think we got in a reasonably good place, and I'm okay with the implementation, and I've heard and I, I trust them at some level, and they've been forthcoming, I'm disappointed they didn't take that extra step to go and ask others.
2: See, and and I will agree with you that this... Well, Because this is such a sensitive and critical topic, it ought to be a much broader and more inclusive conversation. I don't think any of this ought to happen in the shadows, and as you keep advocating for Dave, transparency in all things is a good thing in technology, but especially in really vital topics like this one, right? We ought to be over-communicating. However i want to make sure that we go back and emphasize the actual effectiveness of the technology itself right so uh dave you shared around an article and again this one's behind a paywall so we might not be able to share it with everybody but uh, a guy named casey uh, in the industry has been writing about this stuff for a long time uh, published a further update on what some of the details are about Apple's approach and what what their technological solution is, as well as some of the very, like, surprisingly vitriolic debate that's going on about this. And and I want to read a quote from this because it, it crystallizes where I think we have a problem as an industry. So the quote is, it is striking that more than a decade into the platform era of the internet, companies are still fumbling towards a collective theory of how to keep their youngest users safe. On one hand, to date, governments have given them little guidance on privacy and safety standards for children. On the other, it's hard to look past, uh, look at the past week's announcement and not feel that until quite recently, real harms have been enabled by an industry wide willful neglect. Now, this is the context. As an industry, I believe that assessment, that there has been not just not enough focus on privacy and safety for younger users, it's on purpose. Our industry has willfully neglected that kind of protection, and we've got absolutely no excuse to not have a good solution. But here's my problem with the debate. Uh, We're pissed that the industry has not yet solved this problem, and yet now everybody is pissed that Apple is solving this problem, Apple's way and doing it in their own way. People, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, uh, this is horrible and wrong that we've not yet solved this problem as an industry. And then at the same time, when somebody does, to your point, Dave, what we believe is actually a legit way technologically to solve this problem, um, they're solving it. You can't be pissed that they're solving it when you're pissed that they haven't solved it. So I, I think I'm i shocked. People on the
0: internet are mad. Like
2: <laughs> <you> <laughs> know. they're
0: shaking their fist. Right. little I mean, You know, and you because I want to like say like we, we're exposing a little bit because I want to expose the subtleties of the, of the discussion. And uh, you know I'm going to keep my my kind of transition point here is is like look, there's a reason I keep talking about data management as an offering and as a service area because answering ethical questions even by bringing them up is a valuable service that enough companies need to be embracing because if at least if you tackle it even if the answer isn't perfect you've at least done something versus nothing
1: right and I just uh last comment on this we do have the children's online privacy protection act so there there is something it's only a couple years old and it's being implemented very mm, differently on different platforms and very ineffectively on some of them Um, so but at least we're trying we're heading in the right direction so sadly we're out of time on that but (laughs) i sounds like we'll revisit it Uh, (laughs) second topic today is uh, we're we're going to talk about the supply chain, and uh, we've talked about this on and off, uh, I guess, for the last year and a half. Uh, I think the supply chain kind of—I wouldn't say it blew up per se, but it uh, it changed significantly over um, the uh, the last eighteen months. Um, and so, one of the things that's happening now is that, you know, some companies, and including Toyota, uh, are sort of building in a a little extra flexibility and backing off from the just-in-time delivery that had been the ultimate goal of supply chain for the last 30 years. And we finally got to the point where we achieved it. And then one guy bought too many rolls of toilet paper (laughs) and (laughs) destroyed Western civilization. So um, I I personally think it's good. I think a little slack in supply chain is long overdue, uh, but... um, well, so You know, Dave was saying uh, before we started recording that, you know, all of these ships are leaving uh, Los Angeles port empty because things just aren't organized the way
0: they ought to be. So the toilet paper thing is, first off, so funny. But then second, it actually, when you, when you take the moment to move past the joke and understand the subtlety, it's where this gets really interesting. Because the supply chain was not that we were out of toilet paper. It's right. that we didn't have the right kind. That that there is a big big difference between commercial toilet paper that comes in big giant spools and versus personal toilet paper, which is in smaller spools that is fluffier and and right. designed well, to even, be even even the most of the warehouses never ran out. They just a grocery store is only gonna get so many rolls a right. day. And so the what 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 the just in time supply chain doesn't account for is change of market conditions, right? That's that that a dramatic change in market conditions, a just-in-time supply chain, just does not necessarily accomplish if there is a substantial disruption. And that's the lesson that we're, we, we're hopefully taking away from this. Part of me wants to smile and go, yeah, I feel like I'll be having this conversation in 15 or 20 years when people have forgotten about this particular bit. But that's the element that you have to think about with this, you know, and is, is that And at a small level, you as a if you're in a services business, you are completely reliant on the supply chain to supply the the widgets and things that you then integrate and put together. You need to recognize that in a you know that you are vulnerable because of just in time supply chains and you may be that's now a consideration of who you're working with and why.
2: See, Dave, I'll take that one and, and and run with that specific point, because I think that is the heart and soul of this issue, right? So the article that we're linking to in the show notes is focused on Toyota and how they have evolved by gaining, A, more visibility into their supply chain, which is notoriously complicated in the automotive industry, and then, B, inserting some slack Because they're Toyota, they can require the supplier to hold the inventory so they don't actually hold it in their facilities or on their books. But they are deliberately violating a principle of what has been known in business schools for decades as literally the Toyota way. They're changing it because they recognize that forecasting sucks and that world and and natural disasters happen and you must have some control over this. There's a quote in the article that I thought was absolutely spot on. If you have a disruption of more than three months in your semiconductor supply chain, that is not a shortage. That is a failure to manage your supply chain effectively. Correct. Correct. All y'all that are listening to this podcast, you are the closest link in the supply chain to your customers. If you are a managed service provider, systems integrator, reseller, whatever, if you sell technology and then provide services on and around those devices to your customers, I know you've been punked by this in the last 18 months. I know you have customers that have come to you and said, I need a firewall, I need a server, I need a laptop. And you've said, everything's on allocation it's stocked out at distribution i can't fulfill your order even though you desperately need this stuff that is not a shortage of devices that is a failure to manage your supply chain proactively i can show you exactly how to solve that problem right we've been dealing with this with our solution provider customers distributor customers and vendor customers for the last 18 months get multiple suppliers into each category, have an alternative source of supply at distribution, make your business proactive about managing up the value chain, every bit as much as you manage down the value chain. If you have to tell a customer, oops, sorry, I can't sell you any laptops because there's none in the world, bullshit. You're just not managing your supply chain. So that's
1: true for certain things, but I have to say on a bigger, bigger picture, None of us controls or, or can find an alternative supply for the chips that are not going into computers, not going into automobiles and so forth. And I'll tell you, uh, mark my words two years from now, um, I think China, when this is all said and done, is gonna pull the rug out from underneath the United States and say, your supply is gone. You want a supply, go the other way around the world and, and see if you can find it somewhere else. And I think we're going to see a lot of issues with that. And that's, that's sort of different from, you know, on one hand, you have things where the, the stuff is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And on the other hand, it's like you can't get the stuff at all. And so, so, by the
0: way, I would be remiss if I did not point out the tension that anyone who considers themselves deep, deep into managed services would be feeling at Ryan's statements. If you are super standardized to a very, very specific hardware set, And then the other recommendation is is you need to diversify that in order to handle supply chains. Yet there's a tension there between your desire to standardize and your desire to diversify supply chain that you are going to have to work through to decide which is more important, particularly as you the smaller you get. Right. Well, and I think
1: (laughs) you can you can foresee like right now you know,
0: if there's a shortage
1: of one kind of camera, you need two brands. And I've always encouraged people, sell two brands, your primary and a secondary. Don't sell every brand on earth, right? That's just a waste of money. But have your primary. For us, it was, you know, we sold HP servers, and if we couldn't get them, then we sold uh, IBM and then, a, or Lenovo. But, um, you know, we didn't sell Dell.
0: But there's um, a lot of people out there that advocate, like, standardizing down to one particular skew for things that then do make you, your, make you more brittle around supply chain variation. That is 100%, 100%. true.
2: It, it, there is an engineering principle that everyone listening to us is probably familiar with where you may only optimize for a single variable. And if you are optimizing for the efficiency, automation, price effectiveness of your standardized stack, by definition, you are not optimizing for the resilience of your stack. And what is it that your customers are actually paying you for? Are they paying you for cheap IT or are they paying you for bulletproof, resilient IT? Hmm, gotta stop and think about that
0: value proposition. Never cheap. Hmm, donut. So uh, with that thought, I'm going to actually convert us over to some Outlook data. So our, our friends over at the channel company have released their COVID recovery survey and they surveyed 200 solution providers. And the slide I want to direct to, we've, we've linked to it in the, in the show, is, is a title headline of Solution Provider Businesses Are Stronger Than Ever, Health of, business is, uh, health of the Business Future is Bright. And they've got a, a, a graph in here that, that I was fascinated by because it, it's, it breaks down overall health of the business now versus one year ago. And they've highlighted that 28% of businesses are, have identified as stronger or much stronger. That's the highlighted bracketed bit. Now, anybody who listens to my other show in particular knows that I'm like, a, I'm like cat, I'm a catnip for data, right? Data is like my catnip, and I cannot help but talk about it. Because my math looked at the bottom two bits, the weaker and much weaker categories, which when I combined are 37%. And last I checked, 37% is bigger than 28%. <laughs> well, even, even the a 30% that's weaker is bigger. You know, it's interesting. So I,
1: you know, I taught graduate level statistics and for me, I think there's always a tendency to look at the biggest piece of the, the puzzle and say, what is that? Uh, but it's also the the movement is also important. But in this case, like the biggest piece is basically uh eh, nothing is different. Um, but the next biggest piece is is things are down. Well like actually are if you thirty percent is about
0: the same as thirty-five percent and weaker the, the weaker and much weaker categories are thirty seven. Now I would agree with you that like people in general sentiment would be like, Well, they're the same or worse. What I'm pushing back on here is is to put is that it is tempting for some groups to go and go like, oh the future's bright. No, that's the that's the least responded bit, saying that we are in a better position from last year. And I really would would say, like, you know, it's important that we dig into data and ask the questions of, like, are you interpreting this data correctly? You know, because you could be just right. telling a story to this. And and I looked at this and say, I because I feel like sometimes I feel like I am Debbie Downer, right? A year ago, I was I'm warning the channel, like, I think all my data seems to say this is going to be kind of rough. And here I am a year later going, wow, everyone seems to be agreeing with me that it was kind of rough. Like they are not as great a place as they were the year before. <laughs> well,
1: but part of it is also, you know, Mark Twain's quote, you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Statistics, true. Uh, so what what was the growth expected to be, right? Because this graph also shows, hey, what we expect for the next year is all roses and, and you know, rainbows and fluffy bunnies, right? And so would those graphs look essentially the same from 12 months before? Did, did we think it was gonna be fluffy bunnies and it turned out to be 28%? Or did we think it was gonna be 1% thought it was gonna be better so when it turns out to be 28, that's so much better than one, you know what I mean? They, well, that, there's a, there's another there. potential story there, it's just not in the text. Well,
2: and, and the most important lesson I was ever taught about statistics is that intention and story matters more than the actual numbers. Why are you spinning the data the way that you are spinning it? And I can say for a fact that there are, there there are for every solution provider who had their very best year ever last year, there is at least an equal number that is scratching and clawing to desperately survive. We do not live in the best of times for the worst of times, we live in the times and for all the disruption that came to us in the last year it was crazy it was upside down there was a ton of pain some people navigated it exceptionally well and some people tripped and fell on their faces now that i believe is the killer question not 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 is it better or worse but we all experienced the pandemic we all experienced the disruption it was hard for everybody and in the same marketplaces, selling the same stuff to the same kinds of customers. Some people did awesome and some people did not. What's the difference there? Because what I want people to take away from these numbers is that your performance is based on you, not based on whether the market was good or bad. It's not based on whether or not the economy was good or bad or was there or was there not a pandemic. Every single one of us got kicked in the head by economic disruption. And some people did awesome. I want to know those people. I want to learn from those people. That has been the focus of my business practice for the last 11 years. Literally, the one question that I am focused on is not, are these good times or are these bad times? But what can you individually do about it yeah. and so i think I, that's really positive that some people did freaking awesome in the last year but i'm with you dave uh, more than that
0: number did not didn't, it, didn't did do not that right and so and i, and I feel like because i like to think that i spent a lot of my time reading tea leaves to identify pitfalls and opportunities right that's the re- that's the, the reason i look at as much data as I do is I'm trying to look into the future and say like what are the things that I can anticipate because there's a bunch of stuff I can't right there's things I will not be able to anticipate so the best I can do is is I can take the data that I've got and I can anticipate stuff ahead and make sure that at least in those cases I'm covered so that when the stuff I didn't plan for happens well at least the things I did have some plans for I can anticipate and, you know, and, and so that's the bit where, where you, you read this kind of data. And, and where I do also like want to push back is, is, and I call it optimism porn, right? Like I look at a, look at a slide like this and I, I say somebody's presenting this and say, oh, 65% of the market says it's going to be better in 12 months. And I say, based on what data or are you just feeling good, right? Like, are you just in this mood to feel better because... I look at current conditions and say, yeah, that feels kind of choppy. The conditions don't say this is smooth sailing based on the things we know. We already know there's disruptions to regular patterns. Simple stuff like, oh, they were trying to put everybody back in offices for for September and October. Well, that plan ain't working. <laughs> so we can at least know that people are putting in place plans. That are not going to come to fruition. That for me says choppy. That says, you know, if, if plans you right. put in place can't be executed on, much less the stuff you haven't anticipated, rough waters ahead. Let's plan for that.
1: And uh, a couple of points. So, first of all, many of us, myself, and I think both of you included, when this pandemic turned into a sudden recession, said look 25 to 30 percent of you are not going to survive this like that so what can we do and we helped people when we put out information to help people survive the second point is and i always tell people this kind of following up on ryan's point you are an economy of one that it it doesn't matter what the world economy is doing the the u.s economy the canadian economy um, you need one more client today to move your business in the right direction you need one more good job, one more happy person, one more complete project. You know, you need to move the one thing that you can move at this moment and then pick up the next thing and move that one thing forward. And uh, every business can look at the world that way. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, you're IBM and, uh, you know, when the world economy crunches, you will be hit. That's not true when you have, you know, 50 clients and uh, a very small business and you have personal relationships with all of them, right. you can control your world much more effectively than uh, a
0: major corporation. Right. Although the, my add on to that is, is you can, because remember, it's always easier to keep a customer than to, lo- than to acquire right. one. Your job is also to be very close to your existing ones and understand the struggles that they have and will have. And that's where like for again for me it's reading tea leaves to try and anticipate what are the things my customers are going to feel so that i can anticipate that and be there to correct it or, or work with them
2: and to put a final slightly optimistic spin on this uh, overly optimistic data um everyone listening here you guys are our clients right and what we are saying to you is there will be challenges but my optimistic take on it is even in the worst, most disruptive challenges that any of us have experienced in the course of our entire careers, some of you did awesome. It can be done, but it comes down to you and how good you are at it. The world's not, the tide's not going to rise and lift all boats. It comes down to how good are you at this? And the good news is there's a pattern. There's, there is actually an answer. Some of you have figured it out, which means the rest of you could too. And sadly, we're out of time, but the
1: best thing you can do in the next week is make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. Tune in next week and share it with your friends. This has been episode 126 of the Killing It
0: Killing It, Killing it podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.